guys. You can be seated. Good morning. Good to see you. What uh, Juan uh, has been failing to mention uh, in his announcements about the uh, cornhole is that I am the reigning champion of cornhole. Uh, he only keeps talking about how he's the champion of chili. Big deal, right? Who can't throw a chili together? Come on. But throwing a bean bag into a hole? Talent right there. Talent. So sign up for that if you can, if you dare. If you want to try to take me down, good luck to you. Boy, that's humility. Didn't I, I think I talked about humility last week. I still, I got to apply my own talks to my own life. Uh, but um, no, we've been talking about um, starting point and, and uh, you're sort of jumping in in sort of the middle or even more towards the end of, of this series. And I encourage you, you can go back and, and listen to these messages if you'd like to go back if you miss some. But uh, we've just been talking about this whole idea of a good place for us to start. New year, 2018, um, this would be a good place for us to start, especially according to if you trust God and trust God in his word, um, he tells us that the humble will, will be exalted. He tells us that uh, the humble uh, will, be, will receive the fullness of life. He tells us that you know, the humble will find joy. He tells us that the humble will find peace. Not the kind of peace that you know, the world gives, but the kind of peace that only God gives. Not the kind of joy or happiness that the world gives, but only the kind that God gives. And that is eternal. That is permanent. That isn't futile. That is not non-circumstantial. And so we've been just looking at, we looked at John the Baptist, and we looked at his life and the things that he did, and, um, and then we looked at, just um, jumped off of that and, and, and shared just about, you know, last week about, you know, being the least is in, in the kingdom is about being the greatest in, in the kingdom. It's, it's about being the servant. Jesus said, I've not come here to be served. I came here to serve. And what made Jesus great was is that he was a servant. He the Bible says in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so I want to just continue this idea of that is sort of counterintuitive. It's certainly countercultural. So this idea, these Christian principles, these Jesus principles are oftentimes um, paradoxical. I don't know if that's a word or not but I'm going with it. They're oftentimes, you know, sort of flipped around as far as what the world sees or what the world views of what things, certain things should be. And that's commonly what Jesus would teach. He would even say things like, you've heard that it was said, you know, do this or do that, you know, uh, you know get even with your enemy or, you know, or, um, you know, consider them an enemy and shut them out of your life or some, something along those lines. And, but he would say, but I say to you that you should love your enemy. You should pray for your enemy. It was always opposite of, of the world that they lived in. And it's still true for us today that the Jesus principles are commonly opposite from what you hear on television, what you hear in the news, uh, what you see in movies. Jesus principles are opposite of that. And he does that. He tells us that because he wants you to receive and have the fullness of joy that you can have uh, not only in this life, but eternal life to come. And so let me give you just another principle here. Um, so we looked at Luke chapter 7, verse 28, 
uh, Jesus said about John the Baptist. So this is sort of where we launched from. He says, I say to you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John. I mean, what an incredible statement. Wouldn't you like Jesus, no matter how you feel about Jesus, no matter what you think about Jesus, wouldn't you, wouldn't you like somebody to say that about you? Like, <laughs> there is no one greater born of a woman than John. You know, wouldn't you like to hear that? Jesse, wouldn't you like to hear that? There's no one greater born of a woman than Jesse Martin. Wouldn't that be pretty amazing? Like, even if I said it, you would be like, that's right. That's right. There is no one greater born of a woman than, you know, it's just that idea. You know, it's like we would love to hear that. But then Jesus says this in the same verse. He says, yet, yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So Jesus is saying, you know what? As great as John the Baptist is, and even if you have grown up in church or not grown up in church, you've probably have heard of the name John the Baptist. You probably know about John the Baptist. And Jesus is saying, you can be, you can be greater than he. Well, how do we, how do we become greater than John the Baptist? Well, it means that you become least in the kingdom of God. You become less in the kingdom of God. You lose, you become a, this sounds weird, a loser in the kingdom of God. That's how you become great. That's how you become first. That's how you become a winner in the kingdom of God. That's possible for us. We can be greater. John sums it up this way. John, John the Baptist said it this way. He said this, he must increase. Who must increase? Jesus must increase. He must increase, in other words, he must increase in my life. He should become more in my life but I must become less. I must decrease. That's what John, that's the way that John puts it. So this is a good, I hope for you, this is a good starting point. Now, is this easy to attain? No. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Jesus, now, Jesus takes this same concept and he says it this way to his disciples in, in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 25 and 26. He says it this way. Same idea, same concept, but here's the way that Jesus says it. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Will find, in other words, will find abundant life. Will find pleasure and joy and peace and, and goodness and honor and, and that's what they'll find. If you lose your life, you'll find those things. And then he says in verse 26, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or in other words, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you ever noticed when you receive like a new phone or get a new television or a new tablet or computer that it's always set to like the default setting? You ever notice that? It's a set to the factory setting and then you have to begin, once it's set to the factory setting, you have to begin to, you know, load your own information on there and, and you begin to create or build this this phone or this tablet or this computer to your own preferences, to your own, you know, personality, to your own, you put your own apps on there, you put your own Wi-Fi on there, and you just begin to build it. But it always starts in this sort of this default setting. That's where it's, this, it starts. We have a 
default setting. You and I have a default setting. And here's what the default setting is. Now, I want to just take that idea of soul, okay? If you could throw those verses back up there, Neva, in Matthew 16. I want to take that idea of soul and describe to you what naturally our default setting is. So he describes the, you know, the sort of the contradiction between having the world's goods or gaining the whole world, but yet forfeiting your soul. He talks about what would a man give in exchange for his soul. What is our soul? What is our soul? Well, you and I, all of us humans, have a body, which is obvious. We also have a soul, a soul. You say, what is our soul? Well, your soul is who you are naturally, who you are. It's you have a shell and I have a shell. That shell is decaying, hate to break it to you, but that shell is decaying. But who you really are, you know, your personality, your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions that you make, come out of your soul because that's what your soul is. It's your emotions, it's your feelings, it's your thoughts, it's your, you know, it's the the things that come to your mind and it's the, the ability to act on those things. It's the will that you determine of which direction that you go. Your soul has a voice. Your soul has a voice. It's called your intuition, your intuition. So how you're, the way that you are built and I am built is we have intuition. And, and so we commonly speak to ourselves, don't we? we? No one speaks to us more than we speak and talk to ourselves. Am I right? If you're saying to yourself, I don't talk to myself, I got you. You just talk to yourself. No one speaks to us more than we do. Where does that come from? That comes from our intuition. It's the voice of our soul. And it informs our, it's informed by our thoughts. It's informed by our feelings or our emotions to a certain thing. And therefore, it informs our decisions. Now, here's what our default setting is. Our default setting is that we have a body We have a soul, but you know what makes us also unique from any other created thing is you and I have a spirit, a spirit. Now, when sin came into the world, when Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered into the world, it infiltrated into our bodies and into our system. And what it did was that it killed, it put to death our spirit. Because our spirit is something that connects us with God. It's something that connects us with a higher being. It's something that connects us with something bigger than us. Uh, Solomon says it this way in Proverbs. He says that, that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. That means that every single person has an intuition or their intuition is telling them that there is something beyond them that's bigger than them. And you might be arguing right with me right now, but I'm just proving to you that you can constantly talk to yourself. You're continually talking to yourself. And you can argue with that, but listen, the reality is, is what I believe about the Word of God, that the Word of God is true. And the Word of God tells me this, and I believe it to be true. And you can, you know, tell yourself one way or another, but the reality is, is that God has built in us something that connects us to something bigger. Now, when sin came into the world, it killed that spirit. It killed it. It put it to death. It put it to death. That's the problem with sin. See, sin doesn't make us do bad things. Sin is way worse than that. 
Sin makes us dead. It's dead. We're, we have a dead spirit. You say, well, what does that mean? That means that because of our, because of our sin and it makes us dead, we're eternally separated from a holy God. But the good news is that for God so loved the world that he sent and he gave his one and only son that whoever puts their faith in him or believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have eternal life. And what happens is when you put your faith in Jesus, the very person of Jesus steps out of heaven, steps into your life and brings you back to life again. Isn't that good news for us, especially Christians? You were once dead in your, according to the word of God, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, but through Christ Jesus and his grace, he made you alive again. And therefore, you are alive and you will receive eternal life. That's the gospel message. But here's our default setting. Our default setting is this. We live or we fall back to the idea that we think that life is about us. And so therefore, we do everything possible in our life and our intuition tells us to do this, to pursue and to go after whatever makes us happy, whatever makes us find pleasure, whatever makes us have joy, whatever makes us get, you know, receive honor, whatever makes us content, that's the default that we go to. That's the default setting that we fall back on. We, as humans, commonly go after the things that bring us this happiness. All of us, you can't deny this, but I'm going to make you talk to yourself again if you want. All of us want to be happy. And we will avoid whatever necessary that won't make us happy. You, I don't know for you, but as an adult, when I go to the doctors, and I, when I'm sick and I go to the doctors, you know what I ask them the first thing when I see a doctor? Can you just give me a shot so I feel better? I don't know if you say that. I, I, I do. I go into the doctors and I'm like, I'm like, I just feel like garbage. I don't want to feel like this anymore. So can you just give me a shot so that this can speed up the process? I don't know if this is a good idea. And sometimes they say no. And sometimes they're like, all right, you want a shot? Okay, we'll give you a shot. You know, and it's like, I'm grateful for that. Why? Because I know that that's going to make me happier sooner than later. But remember when you were a kid or you, maybe you have kids, I have kids. When you tell them that they have to go to the doctors, you know what the th first thing that they say? Do I have to get a shot? Do I have to get poked? And before you even give them the answer, they start welling up in, you know, in their eyes. They start crying like, am I going to get a shot? And sometimes, even though, even though they're not going to get a shot, I tell them, yeah, you're going to get a shot. I think you're going to get a shot. I don't know. I don't, like, why? I'm like, I don't know, because I think you should get a shot. I just want you to have a shot. No, they, they have, I'm kidding. I don't lie to my kids, as far as you know. And so, I, you know, immediately it's like, what is it? they, they like, I don't want to have pain. I don't want to experience pain. I want to be happy. I want to feel good. It's our default setting. It's what we all want. And so I'll have to, I know this is, a, again, I'm just continually telling you what a bad parent I am. So I'll tell you that I'm so tired of hearing them cry or whine or complain because they might have to go to the doctors and they might have to get a shot. I tell them, listen, I'll take you to get an ice cream afterwards. Oh, you will? 
You know, it's like, oh, okay, well. It's like they just need to know something that will make them happier in the immediate future. And you know what the, you know what the, the motive is, really? The, the motive of my heart is? I'm just tired of hearing them whine and cry and complain that I'm willing to just take them to get an ice cream so they shut up. What is that about? That means I'm just wanting to be happier. So my motive is, is I don't want them to feel better. My motive is I just want to be happier. Because that's our motivation. That's our intent. And that's what the voice called our intuition is telling us. Do whatever necessary to make yourself happy. To make yourself happy. Now, here's you need to understand. Your intuition is not always bad, okay? I don't, I don't want you to hear me that wrong. Your intuition is not always bad. But what you need to understand is this. Your intuition needs to have a warning label on it. It needs to have a warning label. You need to understand that when you follow, if you follow your intuition, which is not always a bad thing, sometimes it's a good thing if you're intuitive, but you need to understand it needs to have a warning label. Now, not everything needs a warning label. Let me show you some things that don't need a warning label, but this necessarily, this, our intuition does need a warning, warning label. Now, this is a warning. Articles of value should, be, uh, should not be left on seats while receiving Holy Communion, okay? So that's a warning. I don't know if this church saw a lot of theft or not, but that was, that's a warning that you want to be careful. So, like, don't leave your stuff laying around, okay? That's one example of, I don't know why you would need a warning. What church has experienced a lot of theft? That one says, do not swallow. It's a coat hanger. Does anybody have a problem swallowing coat hangers? No? Nobody wants to admit? Put your hand down. Here's another one. I don't know if it needs a, war a warning label, but it, it does. Chipotle truck says drivers do not carry burritos, all right? So I don't know if they were experiencing a lot of people pulling up to the Chipotle truck saying, you better pull over. You know, I've got a gun. And, you know, like, all right, give me a burrito. And the driver's like, I don't carry burritos. I don't know. But they have a warning label for that. Here's a couple, a couple others since this is going so well. Warning, no swimming if you can't swim. I know, I know. It doesn't need a warning. Let me give you another one. What doesn't need? This is medicine for a dog, okay? So I don't know if you can read that. It's kind of blurry. But this is medicine for a dog. But it tells the, it tells the dog not to drink alcohol if it's going to drive a car or a vehicle. This is medicine for a dog, but that's a warning label on a real thing. Please be safe. Do not stand, sit, climb, lean on fences. If you fall, animals could eat you, and that might make them sick. I don't care if you get eaten, but the animals, we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with a sick animal. Wash inside out. Remove child before washing. I don't know if this has been a problem for people. I know that sometimes I wanted to throw my kids into a washer machine. No, okay. Again, too much information I'm giving you right now. Uh, this, is, I, this is serious business, but I'm telling you, this is a weird warning label. You may have, be at risk of throat cancer if you, and then one of the things is if you have a throat or a mouth. <laughs> so all of us have a throat and a mouth, you might be at risk. Just want to check that out. Uh, this is for an iron. Do not iron while wearing your sh the shirt. Do not iron with the shirt. 
still on. Now, I don't know if these, oh, this is, a, this is my best one. This is for a chainsaw. Do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. Is, do you need to be tell, told to do that? Do you, did somebody need to tell you to not hold on the wrong end of the chainsaw? Okay, all right. So these are warning labels that I don't know if they're necessary, but when it comes to your intuition, there's a warning label that is necessary. Let me, let me tell you what the warning label is, and this is all throughout the book of Proverbs. This is a father, just to give you the context, this is a father telling his son, this is the warning label that you need to understand when it comes to your intuition, when it comes to following your feelings, when it comes to following the things that come to your mind. These are, this is the warning label. Here's what he says in Proverbs 14, 12, and he says it many other times. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Everything inside of you, your default setting tells you, pursue happiness, go after what gives you pleasure, be, do whatever necessary to make you content, pursue honor, don't, you know, steer away from pain and hurt and struggle, and, and listen, everything inside of you tells you that, tells me that, but here's the warning label when it, when it comes to following that intuition, he says, it tells them that from Proverbs 14, put that back up for me, Neva. He says, listen, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. You need to be careful that there seems, there's things that seem right to a man. There's things that seem right to a human. There's things that you believe that could be true, but just simply are not true. And if you go down that road, if you go down that path, its end is the way of death. Or in other words, its end is a whole lot of pain. If you wanna go, if you wanna pursue this thing, if you wanna go in that direction, you need to be careful because there's a way that seems right. There's, a, there's something inside of you that tells you, this is what I want, this is what's best for me, this is what I think is gonna give me joy and happiness and pleasure and contentment and whatever else that makes you be more comfortable in your life. But he says, you need to be careful because the end, the direction, the path will lead to death. Anybody else like me directionally challenged? I'm very, Bob, you're, I'm direct. My wife is not that way. My wife is like very good with directions. Like my wife's like Davy Crockett, you know? Like you could like spin her around, you know, and stop her and she could tell you where North is right away. Like she's just so good at directions. Me, I'm not good at directions at all. One time I was in, um, asked to come and do a wedding um, just outside of New York City in a little uh, town in New Jersey. And so they flew me in, and as I was flying in, I had the thought come to my mind, hey, maybe I'll, I got a few hours before I got to be at the rehearsal, maybe I'll drive around New York City. And so I'm thinking, so I'm, we're flying in, and I'm kind of flying over, you know, the city, and I'm thinking, the thought came to my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to do that. Like, I got a few hours, I'm going to do that. So I got, you know, in my car, I got into my car, and I'm, I started heading that way because I, I just wanted to do that. I thought I've never been there before, I've never experienced the city before, I've heard a lot of cool things about it, and I just thought I'd experience it for myself. So I got in my rental car, and I started heading into the city. And I'm like, at first, I'm like, oh, this is not too bad. I heard there's a lot of traffic, and there's a lot of, you know, you know, 
congestion things. Ah, this is not too bad. So I'm driving into the city, and all of a sudden, I got just swept up in a sea of cars, and they were taking me wherever they wanted me to go. Like there was, I once I got into the city, I, there was no changing where I thought that I wanted to go. I'm like, oh, there's you know, there's that place and that place, but I can't get there because traffic is t- taking me this way. I'm telling you, I drove around. I don't know how long I drove around, but eventually I was able to find a place just to whip over off the side of the road and just stop and take a breath. Like at first it was like no big deal and people were honking at me and yelling at me. I'm like, oh, that's so New York, you know? And I was just thinking, you know, and I'm like, but after a while I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't know where I'm going. There was a time where they didn't have, like, smartphones. I didn't have, like, a map, you know, to follow because I'm a slave to maps. Anybody else a slave to the maps on your phone? Like, I didn't have any of that stuff. I'm just following my own intuition of where I want to go. And all of a sudden, I found myself at a place where I had no clue where I was. Oh, man, I had a good thought. It was a good thought. Oh man, my emotions were telling me, yeah, let's do this. Let's go that way. Let's take that route. And all of a sudden, I found myself at a place where I have no idea how I got there. You say, how did you get out? You know what I did? I got off the side of the road. I called my older brother. I said, Eric, he lives in Grand Blake, Michigan. I said, Eric, can you get on your computer and pull up the maps and, and get me out of New York City? <laughs> He's like, you're a what? I said, I'm in New York City, I'm lost. He says, why are, you do, why are you there? I said, I don't know, it was a bad idea. I said, get me out of here. He pulled up a map, I told him some cross streets, he pulled up a map of where the cross streets were, where I was at, and where I needed to go, and he talked me through on the phone of how to get out of the city, and I don't wanna go back ever again. It was terrible. And so I'm just like, I, what was it? It was me following and thinking that my intuition, despite my directional challenges that I have in my life, following my intuition and going, hey, I'm going to go check this out. Why? Because this is going to be cool. I get to see things. I get to explore things. I get to see things I've maybe never seen before, you know, and it's somebody else's dime. It's somebody else's rental car. Hey, I never get this chance again. So I followed that. But you know what I found myself? I found myself in a place that I wish I never was. I found myself in a place that I wish I never would have landed. And I didn't even know where I was. This is what happens sometimes when we follow our own intuition without listening to that warning sign. There's a way that seems right to a human. But its way could be destruction. Its way could be death. And so here's a perfect story in the scripture. I wanted to share this with you. In the, in the scriptures of what, how this plays out and how this works. And then I want us to look at what Jesus says of how we combat this. What do we need to do to combat making decisions and choices and following our emotions and, and following what we think is true or best for us for the purposes and sake of happiness? Here's what, here's what Matthew 16 says. Here's what it says. Start, start in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, what do people say that, the son of, uh, say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is, is long dead by now, but they believe that you know, people died and they re, were reincarnated back. And so he said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist and others say Elijah, same thing, same idea. But still others, Jeremiah, they thought that maybe he was Jeremiah the prophet or one, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Like, what are you, what's telling you that I, that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In other words, something, a divine inspiration told you who I really was. A divine inspiration told you the truth about me and not your own intuition, not your default setting told you who I am. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This is the truth and the reality of the church today. Hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be, have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should not tell, they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the elder, uh, from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, here's what Peter does. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord. God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. In other words, Peter said, no, 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 no. You're telling us that you're gonna suffer. You're telling us that you're gonna be arrested. You're telling us that you're gonna die. You're leaving us. I mean, we, Peter's going, listen, we gave up everything to follow you. We gave up our lives, our livelihoods to follow you. We sacrificed our family to, you know, time to follow you. And you're telling us now that you're leaving us, that you're gonna die? No, 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 no. This is contradictory to my happiness, Jesus. You're telling me something that isn't making me happy. You're telling me something that you're leaving? I mean, what about the stuff that, you know, where we're gonna build this kingdom on, on earth and we're, gonna, you're, we're one of your 12 and you're gonna be king and we're gonna be close to you? I mean, what about all that stuff, all that power and all that prestige? And Jesus is saying, nope, none of that is happening. None of that is, is for, for this time. None of that is something that is part of God's plan. And here's what Peter, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Why? Because Jesus was telling something that was counter to his intuition. Jesus was telling him something that was going to rob him of his happiness. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then he says in verse, next verse, he says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now I can spend some time here, but I'm not. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. When it comes to your default, those are man's interests. When it comes to what you think is gonna make you happy or bring you joy or contentment, those are oftentimes when you follow that intuition based on what you think, based on how you feel, those are man's interests. And you need to be careful because there's a way that seems right to a human, but that way could lead to death if you're not 
careful. And Peter, for in one minute, has given this divine inspiration, but in the next minute, he's following his default intuition. At one minute, he's saying, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. And the next minute, he's saying, you're not going to leave me. You're not going to die. You're not going to be turned over. That means that I'm going to be affected by that. Because if they arrest you, they're going to arrest me. If they put you to death, Jesus, they're going to put me to death as well. Now, there's times, I believe, in our life that we pull Jesus off to the side and we began to rebuke him. We say things like, you know, Jesus, come on. I mean, you don't, have you seen how my wife acts? You want me to love her in the same way that you loved us? You want me to love her in that same way? Come on, Jesus, you know how she is. Or maybe a wife pulls Jesus off to the side and says, Jesus, come here, let me talk to you for a second. (laughs) He's a moron. You want me to submit to his leadership? I mean, I'm a way better leader as a woman than he is. You want me to do what? He's completely lost. I mean, you want me to do that? I mean, we commonly find ourselves following man's interests. I mean, here's some other ones that we say, you know what? You know, God, (laughs) I know that the Bible says, you know, we should give, you know, a percentage of our income. But really, you want me to give? You want to give financially? I mean, I make this money. This is my money that I make. And you're telling me that we should give consistently to a percentage? I mean, really, Jesus? Man's interest. Oh, it's easy for us to get together with people and go, Jesus, listen, listen. These are just prayer requests. We're not gossiping about anybody. Jesus, you're misunderstanding what this is all about. We're not slandering them. We're just wanting to pray for them, right? Oh, we commonly pull Jesus off to the side and say, you know, if you're you know, a, a, you know, a young adult or a teenager or you're single, whatever the case may be in your life, and say, you know what? I mean, I know he's not a Christian, and I know that he's not really in love with Jesus, but Jesus, I mean, he's so cute. I'm not talking about any of you over there. He's so cute. He's so nice. I mean, I know he's not a Christian, but I can t- change him. I know I can turn him. I can know that can, he can be a Jesus follower. And we, we begin to, why? Because we want things that will make us happy, even though they're for our own interests. And they're not the interests of God. It's not what God's telling us. And if we follow that intuition, we follow that default setting of whatever it takes, whatever I need, whatever will make me happy, whatever will make me satisfied, whatever will make me content, even though it contradicts the word of God, we're going to find our way to destruction in our life. If you follow your intuition over the word of God, it's only going to bring a whole lot of hurt and pain in your life. The word of God is the divine inspiration that God gives us as a way to know where life, fullness of life is found and it's not inside of your own thoughts. It's not inside of your own emotions and your own will and what you think is the best path for you. It's found in the word of God, the divine inspired word of God. If you follow anything else, 
destruction, pain, hurt, struggle. It's just the path that you're going. It's just where you're headed. You say, my life is not that bad. I'm not necessarily a Christian or a Jesus follower. My life is not all that bad. Listen, you may be just en route. You might just be on the road, but eventually you're going to find yourself at a place like I did in New York City going, how did I get here? And I want out. And for some of us, it might be too late. Too late. And Peter said, Jesus, you're taking away my joy. You're taking away my happiness. You're taking away my comfort. You're taking away my contentment. You're taking away my honor. And Jesus' response to that is this. Look what he says. He says, here's, here's how you combat that. Here's how you take the, how, how I'm going to show you, that, you know, the plan for you know, seeing where God wants for you. Matthew 16, verse 24, says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to be a follower of me, if you want to know where life is, true, full life, if you want to know where peace is, the peace that only God gets, if we want to know what God's interests are, here's what you must do, here's what you and I must do. He says, you must deny yourself, deny himself. Say, what does that mean? Well, come on, I mean, it's simple, as simple as this. It's like, um, you know, in, in you know, November and December, when it comes to desserts and treats, you know what you and I don't do? We don't deny ourselves of those, do we? We don't do that. When it comes to those holiday seasons, you know, it's like we have these desserts and these treats, and we're like, ooh, man, this looks good. And you know what? It's, it's the holidays, you know? And we don't deny ourselves. But when it comes to January and February, you know what we should do? Deny ourselves of those treats. It's the same concept. It's the same idea. So when something rises up within us, when we know that something rises up within us that is contradictory to the word of God or something rises up within us that is not God's interest but instead our own interest or man's interest, we need to, he says, that we should deny ourselves. Deny ourselves of those urges that we have. Deny ourselves of, you know, if you're single, of that relationship that you know isn't healthy. Deny yourself of the thought that all of your money that you have is yours. Deny yourself of the thought that, you know what, you know, I, I can't love her the way that I know I'm supposed to love her because she's not acting the way that she should act. It's denying yourself of that. It's not, it's denying yourself of, you know, he's a schlub. He's not leading the way that he should lead. He doesn't know, you know, what's best for our family. And so therefore, I'm not going to follow that. That's what is necessary. Jesus says, you want to know what it means to be led by the interest of God? You want to know what it means to experience the fullness of joy? Here's what you do. You need to deny yourself. Because what you think is best for you is may not necessarily what God thinks is best for you. He says, listen, the first thing you must do is you must deny yourself. Then he says this, and then we need to take up his cross. We need to take up his cross. Now, their idea of the cross is much, much different than our idea of the cross. Their idea of the cross represented opposition, that somebody opposed Roman authority, 
That somebody committed a crime and it meant opposition against the authority in charge. And therefore, they were to be crucified on a cross. It was a Roman execution. It meant opposition. It meant shame. That people would carry their cross through the streets and they would carry their cross to, to their execution. That's what Jesus had to do. He had to carry his cross. And so it was an act of shame. It would be somebody, you know, walking through the streets, carrying their own cross, and people would see them and they would feel shame. It was a representation of suffering. It was a representation of ultimately of death. So when they, when Jesus said, you need to take up his cross, it was much, much different than the way that we feel about the cross today. That the cross today is a representation of what Jesus did for us and how he paid the penalty of sin and death for us. That the sin of us all was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. For us, the cross represents victory, but for them, it meant something completely different. It meant opposition, it meant shame, it meant suffering, it meant death. That's what it meant. And so for them, they said, man, we gotta take up our cross. That means that we need to know that if we, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, if we're following after Jesus, that people, because of what we believe or what we say or what we think or how we feel, that people might oppose us? Yeah, it might mean that. It might mean that you might be different than, than everybody else, or at least we should be. The way that we act, the way that we respond, the way that the world sees a Christian should be different. It should be countercultural. It should be counterintuitive the way that other people think. That's what it means. It means that people might oppose us. It means that you might be shamed. Now, we live in America, you know, and some people like, you know, we live in a, you know, a sort of a countercultural, you know, Christian you know, post-Christian culture, that's sort of where we live, and, and people may not have the same opinions of Christians that they had 20, 30 years ago. Listen, poor us. Poor us. We live in America. So somebody shames you because you want to pray over your food? Big deal. You know, people, places in the world, people are actually literally dying because they claim the name of Jesus. Do you know in that culture, in that time, in that time frame, they were being killed, it wasn't long after this, that they were being killed for their belief in Jesus? And I say to you, in an American church, I say to you that you need to take up your cross and you're going, oh man, this stinks. I don't want anybody to shame me. I don't want anybody to oppose me. Oh, be, listen, poor us. Well, I'm just kind of telling straight, am I today? But this is what it means to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. It means that you might have to experience a little bit of suffering. A little bit of, you know, you might not get that promotion that somebody else got because of what you believe. Or you may have lost out on that over time because of somebody. Like, big deal. You're a follower of Jesus. So take up your cross. Take up your cross. Paul says it this way. Here's what he says. Look at what it says in Colossians 3. Paul says the same idea, and he says it this way. Colossians 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Keep pursuing God's interests, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's saying this. Set your mind, set your mind on the things above not on the things of this earth. Set your mind to God's interest, not man's interest. 
For you, here's what he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That you, when you put your faith in Christ, that you died to self. That you said, you know what, I'm denying my urges, I'm denying what I think will make me happy even though I know it contradicts the word of God. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm denying those things for the sake of Jesus because I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm gonna take up my cross and if that means I'm gonna experience opposition in my workplace or opposition at my school or shame or whatever it may be or suffering, listen, that's what I'm gonna do because I don't want to be someone who's just living in my default setting because I don't wanna find myself one day being in a place that I have no idea how I got there, in a place where I don't wanna be. So the concept, according to Paul, is this in Colossians 3. Nick, can you help me out for a second? Nick, come here. This is Nick, but Nick, for all intents and purposes, is going to play the, the, uh, Jesus. You all right with that? <laughs> so Nick, come on over here. Just go ahead and stand right there, okay? Yep, face everybody. This is Jesus. You're good Jesus. Okay, stand up. Come on a little closer. So... Nick is Jesus, okay? And so here's, I'm, I'm me, okay? And I have things in my life that I want to make me happy even though I know that they may contradict the word of God and I have things I wanna pursue because that's my default setting. But listen, I want, to be, I want to be somebody who experiences who God is and experiences the fullness of God in my life. And so what I'm gonna have to do and what you're gonna have to do is that as I'm following Jesus, that there would be times where I'm gonna have to deny myself of things that I know that aren't good for me. Are you with me? And as I'm denying myself every single day. Now, Jesus, uh, in Luke, or Luke writes it this way. He says that, I, that when you take up your cross, that it's a daily thing. He says, I want you to take up your cross daily. Every single day you have to wake up and you have to say, you know what, today I'm going to deny my default setting. I'm going to de deny my, my default intuition for divine inspiration. That's what I'm going to do. And so every single day we have to, and I hope you do, I hope you do, we have to deny ourselves. And so every day, so let's say I start where I'm at in my life right now is I'm, I'm about this far away from being like Jesus or being who Jesus wants me to be and where I should be. I'm about this far away. But every day that I deny myself, every day that I take up my cross and I'm okay with opposition and I'm okay with shame, I'll, every time that I have something that comes confronts me and I know it's not good for me, I just deny myself every single day to the point of where Paul says, I am hid with Christ. So every single day I say, you know what? I'm denying that urge. I'm denying that passion. I'm denying of what that I think is best for me because I think that that route is gonna lead to death. I think it's best for me, but that route's gonna lead to death. I'm denying my own interests for God's interests. Instead, I'm gonna deny myself. And after a while, I'm hid. Oh, you can hear my voice. And you can even see me. But where God wants us to be, that God wants us to be hid with Christ. That only thing that you see, I should have got somebody fatter. The only thing that you see is Jesus. Yeah, get bigger a little bit, a little bit bigger. Thank you. 
That this is where God wants us to be. That God says, you know, listen, I want, listen, what the world think? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Barry. So all I want, he says, all I want you to see, he says, I just want you to see Jesus. Why? Because the world doesn't need to see you and the world doesn't need to see me. You're not the answer to the world. You're not the hope of the world and neither am I. What the world needs to see is that it needs to see your life continually denying yourself every single day, your life hidden with Christ to where the world sees Jesus because that's what our world needs. It needs Jesus. Do you agree, Christian? It needs the life of Jesus spoken into a world that is default setting is me, 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 when really what our default should be where we find ourselves is divinely inspired to say it's all about him, everything's for him, it's all for his glory, not my glory, his sake, not my sake, his pleasure, not my pleasure, for his joy, not my joy, and eventually the more you deny yourself, you'll be hidden in Christ. And when you walk around this life, when you go to work, when you go to school, wherever it is that you do life, you're gonna, people are gonna see Jesus and he's the hope of the world. That's him and that's what people need more than anything else. So it's time for us to say a starting point for you and a starting point for me is to lose your life. And you'll, be, you'll find what it means to have true life. What are you willing to exchange for your soul? Some worldly good that, that you think that this worldly good is gonna bring you joy and happiness and peace that the more you accumulate in this life or the more that you have in this life or money or the prestige of a job that you have in this life, that's gonna bring you life never. And you're selling your soul, you're giving your soul away for something of this world. And Jesus is saying, I've got something better. It's being hidden in me. It's denying yourself and it's taking up your cross, following me. That same word denies, the same exact word that was used when Peter denied Jesus three times. You remember that story in the gospel, right? Jesus even told Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. Peter said, I'm not gonna deny you three times. Jesus is like, you're gonna deny me three times. And sure enough, when Jesus was arrested and taken, you know what Peter did? Not, didn't deny him just once, didn't deny him just twice, didn't deny, he denied him three times and cursed him. Cursed him. 30 some years later, Peter's life was transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. 30 some years later, Peter was out preaching the gospel of Jesus, not worried about anybody opposing him, not worrying about the shame of that, not even thinking about the suffering that could come as a result of that, and certainly not thinking about that he was gonna die as a result of it. He was out preaching Jesus and Romans came and arrested him. Nero was in charge at that time, hated Christians, burned Rome down, blamed Christians for it. And as an example of how he was gonna treat Christians, he arrested Peter for sharing the gospel of Jesus. 
He brought G uh, Peter into a prison cell called the Mamertine prison, which was a dungeon, a hole in the ground where many were brought in, thrown into that dungeon and starved to death. They just throw them into this hole and they would just never give them any food. They would no, have no clothes on at all. They would, they would, it would smell, could you imagine the smell of that hole? That's where Peter was thrown down into. Peter spent who knows how long in that hole, probably weeks, no clothes, no place to go to the bathroom, and no food whatsoever. Peter's thinking, this is how I'm going to die. One day, Roman soldiers came and lifted Peter out. Why? Because Nero wanted to make an example of Christians and what he would do. Peter was led to what was called Nero's Circus. It was an entertainment place where people would gather and they would watch Christians die for fun. Peter was given multiple times to deny Christ. He refused. He didn't care what was opposed to him. He didn't care the shame that he felt as he literally began to carry his own cross to his execution. All the while denying his urges to say, I don't believe in him. He couldn't do it. He says, I know he's real. I know who he is. And I know he's the son of God. And I know that after this, that he's got a place prepared for me. So I'm willing to carry my cross. I'm willing to deny myself. And he carried his own cross to his own execution. They planted his cross. They laid it down. And Peter said, according to church legend, Peter said, I don't want to be crucified the same way as my Savior was crucified. Just crucify me upside down, if you would please. And they honored it. And they crucified him upside down. By the way, when Peter was with Jesus, Jesus told Peter, you know you're going to be taken where you don't want to go and your hands are going to be stretched. That's how you're going to die. Jesus predicted that Peter would die and that's exactly the way that Peter died. Peter literally denied himself. Peter literally took up his cross. And none of that's going to happen to anybody in here, I believe. But if you have to deny an urge, you should. If somebody is opposed to what you believe, big deal. Oh, by the way, Nero Circus is now known as St. Peter's Basilica. Isn't that pretty cool? Isn't that amazing? It's now a place where people can come and go, wow, Peter was an incredible man. Now dogs are named Neeter and, uh, Neeter, Nero. <laughs> Don't name your dog Neeter. Dogs are named Nero and children are named Peter. Tell me that isn't God. Come on. Why did that happen? Because Peter said, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. And I'm going to follow him because in him is the fullness of life. In him is peace. It's in him. Deny yourself. Father, 
this is typically not popular preaching in today's American church. You know that. Typically when we ask people to deny themselves and take up their cross, it's just not something that most are willing to do and it's challenging to do and hard to do and I certainly can understand that. You know what our default intuition is. You know where our default setting is. It's just to do whatever necessary to avoid hurt, pain, sorrow, struggle. It's so easy for us to want to feed into those passions that we have, those urges. But you call us to something completely opposite. You, ca- you call us to a countercultural life. You call us to a counter intuition. And I just pray, Lord, that we are tapping into your divine inspiration and not our default intuition. That we know that the word of God is where life is and doing it and applying it to our life is where we find joy and peace and goodness. And I just pray, Lord, for each one of us here, God, that you give us the strength and the power and the ability to every single day deny ourselves and take up our cross. And God, I'm so grateful for examples like Peter who didn't always get it right, who failed you on multiple occasions and so do we, yet you just kept giving him chances and chances and chances and he finally, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, just was figuring it out and was willing to be thrown into a dungeon without any food, was willing to carry his own cross for your sake, was be willing to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to share in the same deaths that you took and you endured. I just pray, Lord, that there's more Christians like that here in this room than not. Pray that they're willing to do whatever necessary, deny their urges, deny their pleasures, deny their want for happiness based on world standards, based on their own interests. Pray, Lord, that we follow you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for listening and being here. I hope you come downstairs and have um, a lunch on us. Talking like it's the